I think I get like this thing where it's like that writing is me and so anything that is judged poorly or anyway is a judgment directly on me, my entire being, my entire, uh, you know, purpose. So I, I figuring out that relationship. Welcome to the Signal Podcast, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontanez, purpose coach to some of the leading voices in our culture today, from top CEOs to Hollywood stars, best-selling authors to world-class artists. In coaching these incredible humans, one truth has become abundantly clear. No matter who we are, we all carry pain, joy, and the desire to feel connected to a sense of purpose. This podcast is my way of extending some of the powerful lessons of my proven method to you so that hopefully you too can be inspired to heal the white noise of your limiting beliefs and tune into the signal of your intuitive wisdom. Welcome to Signal. Today, you're going to hear a session with Xander. Xander is a PhD student an undergrad professor of writing and literature. And today with Xander, we focus on how he can unblock some of his creative blocks as a writer by getting to the root of the sense he has that he has to measure up to some very high expectations that he sets for himself and that others have set for him. And we allow him to connect his creative ability to his intuition to hear what his higher self has to say about those perfectionist expectations and how he can work through them to allow his creativity to flow. Hey, Signal listeners. Thanks for tuning in to season two. A couple quick disclaimers before we get started. Maury is not a licensed therapist, and this is not a therapy session. Intuition and purpose coaching with Maury is usually a six-month process, and what you're about to hear is just a snippet of what these sessions sound like. That said, this is a real coaching session with real people featuring real strategies that Maury uses in her method. All right, let's get to today's episode. So Xander, we are going to spend an hour together. What would you like to walk out of this hour and feel like you got something to chew on or you got some clarity around? I think for me, it's about um, strategies for managing or reframing around the just like the fear that comes up um, when I think about creativity, when I think about producing, putting things into the world, when I think about facing my own <laughs> interiority when it comes to creativity. Specifically. Yeah. Okay. And what do you want to be creating if that fear were gone tomorrow? What would you be doing? What would you be putting out in the world? I mean, writing of some form, but I don't even, I think I haven't even like, you know, unblocked myself enough to think about the full form that that could even take. Yeah. When was the moment you realized that you wanted to be a writer? It was kind of a slow coming to to realize um, process. I think it was kind of, it, it took me a while to realize that not everyone liked writing, wrote in a way that was really touched other people. It was sort of like by almost more by like process of elimination of like, oh, right, this is not, it's like how I forget that not everyone loves, loves reading books. You know, like these things are specific to me, which I feel, I don't know, might actually be kind of telling about the way I think about my creativity to like, it wasn't that I had my passion for it, it was sort of like it was reflected back to me. And I'm like, oh, I guess that is what I like to do. Interesting. And you, did you always get good reactions and validation around your writing? Like talk to me about being a young writer. What kind of responses were you getting? Yeah, well, I think um, I got a lot of positive feedback that kind of led to a sense of expectation, you know, establishing an expectation and then probably, uh, you know, desire to every time live up to that expectation. I think that added a lot of um, a sense of pressure. Yeah. Were you a really good student? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you were always obviously high achieving and yes. pushing yourself as much as you felt pushed by others. Mm -hmm. Correct. 
Yeah. What was your parents' relationship to your education? How did they influence you? It seemed like they were just happy that I was, you know, high achieving and getting straight A's and doing all this, you know, extracurricular stuff. And I left no room to even really experiment with any other version of things, any other outcome. So I just kept them, I felt like I was, I kept them happy and pleased and they were affirming, supportive, but it seemed like they must have been affirming and supportive in a way that made me feel like the condition for getting more support and affirmation was to continue on the the exact path I was on, which was just like high yes. achievement, ambition, that type of stuff. Yes. That behavior was being so rewarded that your assumption was this is what's valued in this family. Exactly. Do you have siblings? I do. I have an older brother. And how was it with him? Really Same. different. He was less of a like strong student. Um, he played a lot of video games, kind of was a stoner, didn't get good grades. And so I, and, and also had a lot of anxiety and, and, and mental health stuff come up or just manifest earlier than me, for example. And so I saw that all of those factors combined to create a lot of concern in my parents. And I was like, okay, not doing that. I'm going to pick up the pieces Mm -hmm. and do whatever (laughs) the opposite is um, Mm -hmm. to just, you know, differentiate from him and to make sure that I don't disappoint my parents like that. What was the narrative you heard about your brother from your parents? Can you boil it down to kind of a couple of themes that you would hear repeatedly or sense even? Yeah, I think it was like he has emotional problems was kind of one narrative. Like I think he saw a therapist and that was very, you know, taboo for my parents. It was like hushed whispers, kind of like we don't want people to find out that we have a kid in therapy or something like that. I felt like it was implied that he was either lazy or I think there was something about hard work. He was lazy. He wasn't working hard enough. He was a slacker, stuff like that. And how's your brother doing now? He's doing really well, actually. And interestingly, he has a much less tortured relationship to his creativity than I do. I'm not surprised. Or I'm not, I'm actually not surprised either. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Do you know why? Why are you not Um, surprised? I'm not surprised because I think that it can be a real gift to experience early ruptures from the people that place expectations on you. And there's a freedom and like liberation in, in that type of, um, it's painful, you know? Um, but then it kind of opens up new space and to imagine possibilities for yourself that were being shut off by, by expectations of others. And so he's like this, I didn't say he's like a comedian screenwriter, um, who works wow. in comedy and is writing screenplays all the time and making music and like he's it's his number one thing. So wow, yeah. So he kind of he disentangled himself from your parents very early on, and his relationship with quote unquote failure or the label of failure is a really comfortable one. Yeah, <laughs> because that's what he heard so much as a child. Totally. Interesting. What's your relationship with like with him now? It we are friendly. We are close-ish. Um, he definitely calls me for emotional support and advice. I'd say I maybe rely a little bit less on him emotionally. I've always felt because of being queer and trans that he didn't quite understand that process for me, um, which is kind of, you know progressed over the past decade or so. And so that's a different type of sense of failure, you know, in relation to one's parents. I don't know. It's 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 just different, but I feel like it didn't seem like he quite understood the gravity of that for me. So that I think I still hold a bit of I guess resentment. I don't know what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um he can't really empathize cuz he just mm-hmm. hasn't walked it. Mhm. You brought up the you know, transition. How did that impact your relationship with your parents or their notion of your overachievement, achievement, you as a success? I think did it? it 
it did. It majorly impacted that sense, especially for my dad about, I mean, I think it just read as a major failure on my part and more disturbingly on his part as a father. And it became about that. Like, what have I done wrong to make you like this? You know? So it, it felt very much and more coming out of, as trans than coming out as queer, but both were registered as failures, but the transness especially was just like, it felt like a, a true like shattering of a lot of other people's expectations for me. Yeah. So you'd think I should be creative. <laughs> I should be like, well, but no one cares now. Yeah. Screw it. Yeah. No, you know what? Listen, we have parts of us that get trapped in the moments they're in and they, you know, whether they're 16 or 20 or five years old, they're stuck. And so they do push us out of the driver's seat a lot, uh, particularly when, you know, all of those things we did in childhood to survive, right? Those survival mechanisms that we created don't know that they're no, that they're outdated anymore, mm-hmm. right? So they're jumping in to try to protect you. They're jumping in to say, well, we can't fail yeah. because failure equals losing love. Right. That's what you – I'm hearing sounds like you watched happen with your brother. It, not that they didn't love him, but in your perception, the disappointment was a fundamental kind of shift of love towards mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, definitely. So – when I think about what you set as your intention for our short time together today around unblocking your creativity, what I'm seeing is kind of this need to build a bridge from this place of being unblocked to what you're trying to achieve and give you an idea of what are some of the potholes going to be along the way. And those potholes are those outdated survival mechanisms. Mm-hmm that are going to try to grab you. I call them trolls under the bridge. You're uh-huh. going over this bridge from here to there. And these are trapped parts of you that are going to come up and grab your ankles and say, don't go forward because mm-hmm. it's dangerous. Right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to unblock your creativity and you had a blank canvas mm-hmm. and you could project – 10 years in the future for me. What do you want to be able to say in 10 years you've accomplished? What would feel like success for you? I think more so than any type of like output related goal, it's more I would like to accomplish a sense of trust in my own voice as a writer mm-hmm. and as a thinker. Mm-hmm. And that would mean putting things into the world um, and being you know, like, be it creative essays, book reviews, you know, I don't know, a a fiction, it could be anything, I don't even think I know, but being able to both be proud of what I write and not totally negate, doubt, question myself and my worth, and also release it a bit like be proud of but also be like and that's done like I that is a past me that wrote that and I respect them and I'm grateful for them but like it's also not the encapsulation of my entire identity I think I get like this thing where it's like that that writing is me and so anything that is you know judged (laughs) Um, poorly or anyway is a judgment directly on my me, my entire being, my entire uh, you know purpose. So I, I figuring out that relationship. Yeah, that makes sense. This is a moment where I am feeling very strongly, almost like a statement is coming repeatedly to me that I'm about to share with Xander. That sometimes to clients feels like it's coming out of nowhere, but this is what I mean when I say when you're in relationship with intuition, it's so informing. And so for me, my intuition told me loud and clear exactly where 
the limiting belief system was keeping him stuck. And so you're about to hear me kind of present it out of nowhere and listen to what Xander has to say about it. I just got something for you. I'm curious, when I asked you to list what your accomplishments would be 10 years from now, and you said creative essays and book reviews, and I felt you holding back, and then you said maybe a fiction, and then you moved on. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to say a sentence to you. I just want to tell you to tell me how much it resonates. What I want is dangerous. Resonates. What does that mean for you? By pursuing the things that I want, I'm opening myself up to risk and vulnerability to danger. (laughs) And that part of you that believes that has some really solid evidence it keeps showing you. What is that evidence? That, I mean, in my case, I feel that's a pretty direct line between revealing my true self to my family and then getting bad (laughs) feedback about that. So keep this in mind. I don't know if you have something to write with, but my Mm. desires are dangerous. My desires are dangerous. We just hit a limiting belief system right there. Because I can sense from you what you want is to be an accomplished writer and to feel that you could write anything, but there's something about writing a book, a fiction that is well-received or successful that you want. Mm -hmm. And my sense is that stating that even feels not safe. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. So part of what happens when we are creatively blocked is that we have not been clear with the universe, with ourselves, what we want. So there's nowhere to really channel the energy. It's kind of trapped. It's like, I'm waiting on you, right? Imagine a bunch of horses in a stable behind the gate waiting for the door to open, right? The energy is is building because desire is there, motivating kind of them running around and it's building, it's building, it's building, but it's not being directed anywhere because we're not able to clearly state our desire. Right. And with you, when we feel that our desire is dangerous, then it's even further suppressed. So I would, I would guess that one of the foundational building blocks with you for us to establish is to heal this belief system of my desires are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Because once you start to reframe that as, no, the thing that I want is in line with my purpose, is in line with the way that I am actually going to create impact for myself and hundreds of other people, maybe thousands, maybe millions. Once you understand that the thing you want is actually good for yourself and others, then you really have no choice but to go after it. (laughs) Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's easier to wrap my head around the way that it's good for me because I know how I feel when I am in touch with my creativity and I am feeling free in that way. It's harder to connect with the the idea that it, the the notion that it could that it could be beneficial to others. Let me ask you a question: When you have been not in contact with your creativity or your truth, how have you shown up for others? In a way that I think isn't probably offering my fullest fullest capacity, because there's some way that I'm blocked, you know within myself. And so how, how helpful can you be or how emotionally in tune can you be with someone else when you're not fully in touch with yourself? And I, the, the, the darkest part is like, I don't even want to say, but it's true is there's like interference of like envy and resentment, you know, if around, around very specific, like creative accomplishment type of things. On who on your part towards others or on, on my I'm on, on my your part, part with others, but despite me being able to say that's envy, that's about you, that's not about them. It still I feel bleeds into my communication with them or just my energetic vibe towards them. Yeah, or your ability to be happy for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very beautiful self awareness. And when people are aware of envy. I never worry that it's going to turn malignant. So I just want to reflect that to you, that the fact that you look at it and you notice it and you say, here you are, and I'm about to move with you 
in charge for the next minute or 10 minutes makes me know that you will never cause harm through your envy because you're aware of it. So give yourself that, first of all. The second part is no part of us is disposable, including the part that's envious. Because what is the envy really trying to tell you in that moment? Something that I want something. This is what we want. Yeah. (laughs) It's really informing. Mm -hmm. So a reframe for you I would love for you to put into practice is when that envy comes up, rather than label and judge that envy, you say to that envy, what are you trying to tell me? Ah, I'm going to make your arrival synonymous for me with a clue that this is something I know I want. Mm -hmm. And once the wanting of that thing becomes not dangerous, you are then free to want it and envy can go back, you know, doesn't need to work so hard anymore. Right. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Good. Because I don't want you beating yourself up when envy shows up. Right. Envy is just trying to be productive too. It's just sad. It's like, hello, can we have this? (laughs) I was so happy to hear Xander name so openly and vulnerably this experience of envy. It's something that is hard for a lot of us to admit. And the idea that we have shame around these feelings of envy or resentment really is just us judging those parts of us. And that's why it's so important for people to understand and for Xander to understand here that that envy is trying to be productive. When we don't look at it and we ignore it and we express shame or judgment towards it, then it gets louder and grows into a monster that wants to try to get our attention in bigger and bigger ways. But at its core, it is just trying to help us get more clear about what we want, which is what Xander and I talk about here. But really, for Xander to walk away knowing, ah, when I feel this sense of envy, it's informing me, is a reframe from feeling shame about it and making this part of him feel like it's something that should be disposed of. I want to ask you a question before we do some of this work to to build this bridge. If I were your student in undergrad and you were teaching me, And I said to you, I feel really creatively blocked because I have a belief that when I want something as much as I want this writing career, it's fundamentally dangerous. What would you tell me as your 18-year-old student? Well, my first thought was like, only you can tell us about your experience. And that's something that's uniquely yours. And so it will be a loss if that doesn't get to be heard um, by others. And hold on, you can, yep. I want you to write that down. Oh, okay. I want you to write that down, actually. Only you can tell us about your experience. And if we don't get that, it will be a loss. Okay. Is that what you said? I think so, yeah. And then okay. you were going to say, and? And I might say some, my, my other gut always as an instructor is to um, remind them that I don't, have a set if I if they were going to turn it into me or whatever if they were going to turn this piece of writing in I would say I don't have a set expectation I don't want you to be a certain way I just want you to be however you actually are and tell me about that and like I will meet you there okay write that down remember that I don't want you to be a certain way I want you to be yourself, and I will meet you there. Xander, that was your higher self talking to you just now. (laughs) About yourself. Mm -hmm. What did your higher self just tell you? Only you can tell us about your experience. And if you don't tell us, it will be a loss. And remember that I don't want you to be a certain way. I want you to be yourself and I will meet you there. (laughs) Oh, that makes me emotional. Why? It's kind of sad. I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of sad. It's kind of like, it shows me that some, that someone needs comfort. (laughs) And I kind of feel like I'm talking to my kid self and telling them what they needed to hear 
Bingo. Mm-hmm. That's it. You got it. Mm-hmm. That kid self is the one that is stopping the creative process. Mm-hmm. It's not you at 29. It's you at what age? You can feel it. What age? Eight, nine, maybe? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And if you were to say that to eight, nine right now, mm-hmm. what would be their reaction to hearing that from you? Read it again if you want to yourself and mm-hmm. tell me what you feel they would say at eight or nine. Something would just land wrong and I would be like, that's not true. There is a good way to be and a bad way to be. You do expect something of, you do expect me to be a certain way. You're lying to me when you say that you will meet me there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because that's their experience of the world right now, at that age. You know, sometimes when I ask people to tell me what their intuition is saying, the question alone feels like so much pressure that they are not sure that they're going to be able to be intuitive enough or that they can hear it. And so... What you just heard is a strategy that I use often to show people exactly how intuitive they are, which is to ask them what they would say to someone younger. And it's really important, the younger piece, because we tend to have more of a gentle, loving, empowering approach with the younger people in our lives that we care about. And what I felt really strongly about Xander here is that when Xander works with his students, his intuition is loud and clear. And that is the method that we used to show Xander that his intuition is loud and clear even when it is talking to him about his own life. All right, so eight or nine is who we need to maybe spend a few minutes with right now. Because we have to convince them that you're not lying. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we do that, I want you to remember that just in this moment, you have created a strategy for tapping into the signal of your intuitive higher self. What was that strategy? I mean, speak to myself as I speak to my students. Yes. So anytime that this fear voice comes up, The antidote to that fear so that you can move forward is your intuitive voice. And what, through the practice of this, you will learn to do is allow your intuitive self to talk to and calm your fear self. Mm -hmm. And if you have a hard time accessing him, that higher self, that intuitive self, I want you right in that moment to stop and say, okay, 17-year-old student has come and said this exact fear voice to me. What would I say? And write it down. Okay? Okay. So that's one strategy because listen, never after one session or even five sessions or maybe even 10 sessions is fear just going to go away. I mean, fear stays with us for life, but we can get into dialogue with fear Mm -hmm. so that fear has very little to eventually no control, right? So this work for you is allowing higher self to be in dialogue with fear. So fear can just like let go of the steering wheel and like you can nudge it out and you can start driving towards writing a best-selling fiction novel. (laughs) All right. So, sorry, I'm just taking a minute to really feel how does eight-year-old Xander want to be spoken to right now? Hmm. What's something you like to do when you're eight years old? Well, I love to play, I love to be active and play sports and I played a lot of soccer and I was also a big jokester entertainer type. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Let's, um, let's go kind of kick the ball back and forth with eight year old you. How about that? Okay. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes. You're going to take a deep breath. Just really relax yourself. And I want you to bring forward into your vision, a soccer field. Mm -hmm. And it's empty. It's a really nice day. The green and the blue are really bright. And as we approach this field, we see a young kid just kind of practicing with the ball by themselves. 
and let's approach them until they notice you. Let me know when they look up and notice you. Okay. What's the reaction you got? Curiosity. Okay. So we'll take that curiosity as an invitation to approach and just ask them if they'll let you just kick the ball back and forth with them. Mm -hmm. And as you do that, just remember that your energy is also curiosity because you're here to figure out what they're thinking. And let's ask them how they're doing today and let me know what you hear. I think they're good. (laughs) Okay. And can you ask them what's on their mind? What are they thinking about most? Hmm. I'm I'm kind of disturbed by what by what it is, but I guess I'll just say what I actually feel them saying, which is um a lot of their time is spent thinking about how to how they can be the best. Mm-hmm. Ask them why. Because it feels good, I guess. We're gonna do this a few more times, so ask them not to get annoyed with you. Ask them why does it feel good? I mean, it makes people celebrate them. It makes them feel valuable, worthwhile, like they have purpose. And why does it feel good to be celebrated? What does it tell them about themselves? That they matter. Mm, That they matter. Can you ask them if they feel like they matter when they're not the best at what they do? I don't think they do. Yeah. Can you ask them why? Who makes them feel that way? Mm. I guess their dad. Mm Mm-hmm. And can you ask them if dad could see you in any way you want it, like you gave them a magic wand, what would you, what would they want dad to celebrate them for? What they were, (laughs) whatever that is, I guess. Okay. Um, Let's ask them. Let's be curious actually, because they deserve the space to tell you. Who are they really beyond being the best? What makes, what do they enjoy about themselves? I think being open to change and open to newness and the unknown, the unexplored, just Mm. open to having their mind changed by new experiences, new people. Mm. And how would it feel to be celebrated for that? Like, wow, you're so adventurous and brave that you Mm -hmm. are so open to new experiences. Mm -hmm. How would that feel? Really good. They like that. Mm-hmm. Can you look them in the eye and tell them that? And you got to mean it. Tell them that they're brave. And how incredible that is that they're <laughs> open to new experiences right. at eight. Right. Really emote it at them too. It's not just words or thoughts. There's feelings that matter here. Should I say Should I say something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that it's brave and strong to Mm. have that type of openness and curiosity and to actually be open to being wrong or to being changed by another person or thing or experience. Mm -hmm. What do they think about that? I think it's a new idea to them. Yeah. And they'll only believe you the more you believe you. Mm Mm-hmm. So because it's new, that's something that needs to be stated and restated and restated until it becomes fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. This idea of being the best is a strong theme that you keep hearing coming up with Xander. And it's a strong theme, again, that comes up with highly achieving people. And it's because we have this notion that being the best somehow sets us up to win a better life somewhere down the road. When the truth of it is, we start to become addicted to chasing the feeling of being the best to cover and heal or attempt to heal or band-aid the hurts, the pains. What we heard Xander say is that really what they wanted to be seen for as a child was their sense of adventure, their ability to experience new things. But when that is not seen as valuable, then being the best becomes the ghost to chase, 
in order to get that validation. And so watching out for this idea of being the best is really important for Xander because it's going to allow Xander to get into better alignment with his truth about what feels good, what success actually feels like, rather than just trying to better someone. Because that's all that being the best is. Being the best is just trying to be better than someone else, which is an external feeling. This is about being empowered, is about being in line with our internal feelings and truth. All right. So I want you to ask them if they are willing to have you come back and play again. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yes. yes. Yeah. And just let them know that you are definitely going to come back before we kind of turn around and, and walk away. Okay. You're going to take a deep breath and open your eyes whenever you're ready. So usually what we would do is spend probably 10 more minutes there Mm -hmm. and then ultimately ask them if they wanted to come back with you because what we want to do is take them out of that space where they don't feel celebrated for their truth, Mm. which is that they're strong and brave for being so open to new experiences and being adventurous. We want them to come forward. But- I think there's a little bit of work to do for you to build that trust with them. And that goes back to what I was saying around you believing that you are strong and brave for embracing new experiences. And it sounds like so much of this goes back to your dad and your dad's perceptions of success and what good looks like. Do you have a sense of why your dad has this belief system? just from his own childhood? I don't know. I think he was maybe more like the my brother of his family in the sense that he was kind of a stoner, hippie, kind of didn't have it together and I think probably got reprimanded for that in his adolescence and young adulthood. And then the only other, because it's something I have you know spent some time thinking about since it seems to be at the root of a lot of stuff, um, there also must just be an insecurity a deep insecurity. I don't know where that came from in terms of his childhood, but there must just be some part of him that feels really insecure in himself and his worth and his accomplishments. Mm -hmm. And so as parents, because we're human, the only thing we have to parent with are the perceptions that were instilled in us. Mm -hmm. So in what way by only seeing you and witnessing you through the lens of being the best and rewarding you for that. In what way was that your dad's fear operating? Must be that if he, I think he sees his kids as extensions or reflections of him. And I think he sees us as one of his accomplishments. So I think that if we aren't the best version, then it reflects poorly on him as a father, as a person, or he will, I guess, the, I mean, it's usually like he, he will lose love somewhere, but I, I just don't know, like, I don't Absolutely. know enough about his, the exact dynamics of his upbringing because he's not super chatty about it. Sure. And if he's not super chatty about it, that's pretty telling, by the way. Mm-hmm. So if his value is tied to being the best, but his story from growing up is that he wasn't, are you sort of his second chance? It seems like it. Yeah. Is that about you at all? No. Not even 1% Mm -hmm. as in we could have taken you out, slotted somebody else in and the same experience would have happened to that person. And that is something I want you to work on eight-year-old with when you go to play soccer with them. Because what's happening is that they believe it's something about them, something about the the way that they, you know, the texture of who they are, the way they show up in the world or the things they say or do that makes your dad only really not see them, Mm -hmm. right? Really value them for being the best. Mm -hmm. When the truth is, what they need to hear is, no, my love, that's about dad needing to be the best. And you became the vehicle for that. 
and that's not your job. What you, your job is, is to tell us about your experiences, because if we don't get to hear them, it'll be a loss. And remember that I don't have any set expectations. I don't want you to be a certain way. I want you to be yourself, and I will meet you there. Mm -hmm. When you begin to unplug your dad's inception moment in eight-year-old, and instead plug it into the truth that is in alignment with you, that's how eight-year-old begins to believe you when you say that to them. Because it's almost like distancing them from him and realizing how much none of it was related to them. Does that resonate? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, a, it's a tall order, I feel, just because it's, it's so deep in them that it's just really hard to find that separation between what's his yeah. and what's, what's mine. But you now intellectually, and it feels like energetically understand the separation mm-hmm. at this stage. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the work is, we just promised them you were going to come back, is this consistent time with them where it's a moment of quiet you have, or you're going on a walk where you really take yourself back to that soccer field and you kick that ball around and you have this conversation with them. And you're going to have to have this conversation over and over and over. And one of your clues for having this conversation, one of your trigger points is going to be when the fear comes up. That's how you will know, oh, it's time for this conversation. Right. Because they're still stuck. So it's the consistent having of the dialogue with younger self that allows them to release their hold on those entrenched beliefs so that you can move forward. What I am noticing here, which I notice with a lot of my clients who are high achieving, is that the idea of success that was planted in them uh, by their families, by their communities, is different than their own individual idea of success. And separating that out is so critical because it allows people to begin to become aligned with their purpose. And once you're aligned with your purpose, there's no stopping you. And so what we're doing here with Xander is really trying to understand from Xander, yes, success looked one way as a high-achieving student who constantly was praised for that achievement. But what do you want success to look like for you? And what you notice is it's a little difficult for him to name at first. And that's because the practice of self-defining success is not something that's embedded into us. And it's a really powerful part of this method so that we can start to align with our own truth rather than conforming to what other people tell us success is. There's another aspect of you, older, who has the limiting belief, what I want is dangerous. Same dialogue. Because let's look for evidence. When you have pursued what you want, what's been the outcome? How does it feel when you finally get the thing you wanted? How does your life feel? A whole good in sync Mm -hmm. with myself and kind of like a, a larger universe. Like the pieces are in gear. There's a momentum. Mm-hmm. And when you're feeling whole and good and in sync with the universe, how does that impact your students, your friends, your relationships? Everyone wins. <laughs> how does it impact your writing? That's where, it, I mean, it's hard to keep the momentum going historically. Um, but I'm able to trust myself and my, my impulses and to not find ways to resist expressing myself so it's easier it's easier but it's not it's not without without difficulty still or resistance sure because the writing is where then the fear voice pops in but the feeling of wholeness and alignment for yourself and then the impact on others is that evidence that your desires are dangerous or not Mm-mm. it's evidence to the contrary correct but they're not so where I had you, I think you wrote down my desire, what I want is dangerous. Mm-hmm. 
I would love for you to just take a minute and write down in bullet form and then tell them to me out loud, why is that not actually true based on what's happened with what you want? Okay. Okay. So we just did some work to find evidence that disproves the limiting belief that my desires are dangerous. What is the evidence you found? That it, when I do that, when I pursue my desires, it makes me a better friend, listener, partner, and teacher. I feel less blocked. I have more energy to put towards self and others. I feel in place. I can be my whole self and I feel good. So other people's impressions don't really even matter. Beautiful. Beautiful. So let's now add all the ingredients together to give you that roadmap, that bridge from the block to the desire, right? In order to get what we want, we have to begin doing. So in this case, it may be just sitting down with a blank page and preparing to write something. Let's just use that as an example, okay? So the first step in building this bridge is sitting down and doing. As you begin to do, the troll is going to pop up mm-hmm. and say, uh-uh, we're going to fail and failure is dangerous. One, limiting belief system one. What you want is going to create major crisis, danger, limiting belief system part two. And what you have to say no one really wants to hear. Those are the three trolls we're going to look out for. Mm -hmm. Okay? So our strategy, when they pop up, everything that we just reviewed in our session today, can you recall what are some of the strategies that we're going to use when we sit down to write and one of those three trolls comes up? And I hate calling them trolls, by the way. They're just little, little you, little you. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. I would say I bring in the little, <laughs> bring in the little me's and think about who, who's saying that. How old are they? What is? Why do they feel that way? And then what can I say to them in in dialogue to start to convince them that there might be another possibility that it doesn't have to be that way. Okay. And if you're in the process of of wanting to tell them what the truth is and you get blocked, mm-hmm. what's a strategy we came up with for you to access the signal of your higher self? How do you get the message clearly if you feel like you can't hear it? Uh, I mean, I think producing this list of evidence was helpful. The evidence and the strategy of what would I tell my student right now? Oh, yes. I forgot. What would I tell my student? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because what I sensed from the beginning is that you channel your intuition most naturally when you're with your students. Is that true? I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a fantastic tool because you recognize what that feels like. And we're just going to take that tool and plant it on top of this process because it's the shortcut to getting to it. Ultimately, when you start to get comfortable with what higher self says and feels like and sounds like, you're not going to need that strategy because you've learned to trust that voice the same way we're trying to teach eight-year-old to trust 29-year-old you. It's just all stacking on top of each other. Do you see that link? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Higher self to you, you to eight-year-old, you to 15-year-old. So that's how we get intuition to speak to fear right? We hear those words, but the only way to actually make them effective is to personalize them. Intuition, that's my higher self that's not burdened by trauma. Fear, that's my experiential self, the child that has experienced trauma. That's how we get the two to be in dialogue. Does that make sense? Cool. Yeah. 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 That was really helpful. Good. What remaining questions or anything that feels like it's hanging out there? I guess I wonder about when speaking to, I've never done the child self type of exercises. And I wonder when you know that, let's say the eight-year-old version that we were engaging with, with the soccer ball, like 
starts to feel convinced by what I'm telling them and feels like, okay, maybe we've moved through that. How do I find the next sticking point? Like, how do I find the next age? And do I, do I wait for the, what's that process? Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, when you start to feel like that eight-year-old is buying it, then you do want to ask that eight-year-old, hey, do you want to come with me? And you do kind of visualize you and the eight-year-old walking away from that soccer field and literally into your apartment. Okay? So that's one thing. I don't think you have to proactively then try to go to the next one because it will get your attention. So what this is a strategy of is this how to dialogue with fear. And all we're doing is naming fear what it is, which is a trapped part of you. So as that part of you heals and you go about your way to continue to pursue your purpose, another trigger is going to show up somewhere. Maybe you start writing and it's time to look for a publisher. Maybe another fear pops up. Maybe that one's 15 years old. Maybe that one's about failure. Mm -hmm. But you have the strategy in place to go back and say, okay, hold on. I'm not going to get sucked into this black hole of this fear I recognize this fear is a part of me. And you just said, when I said, what's the strategy? You said, stop and ask, who is this? Mm-hmm. How old are they? And mm-hmm. how do I go spend time with them to help them understand who has influenced this belief that they hold and how much it has nothing to do with them? Once you start doing this work, it will come to you and it will be a natural dialogue you do often. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could go on and on with you, but I do feel like this is a good stopping point because I feel like we got some clarity. Do you feel that way? I do, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to ask you before we end, I would love for you to just take a deep breath and tell me what is the biggest reflection from this last hour? What is What are you walking away with? Just that it's been a long time since my fear self has been spoken to. You know, that's like not, I haven't really ever given fear self the, the time or sustained attention to even listen to what it's saying beyond just the initial fear. Mm. And how does it feel to now engage with it? Uh, Emotional, um, because I feel sad for it, for that self, but also it's less scary. I mean, it does diffuse the, the fear. Yeah, it always feels like this dark dragon in a cave. Mm-hmm. And then you go in the cave and you're like, oh my God, you're just like six years old. Yeah. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to Signal. This podcast is hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and produced by myself, Anais Aslami, and the talented team at Terra Firma, Casey Helmick and Lauren Hall. Please join us again next week for another great episode of Signal. Signal.